0: So if you need a little light reading, you might try a source I found called um, 101 Ways to be Annoying. And in that list includes this, keep changing the TV channel every two seconds. Make beeping noises when a large person backs up. Oh, that's just... (laughs) Signal that a conversation is over by clamping your hands over your ears. Ask people what gender they are. Speak only in a robot voice. Repeat your joke when you're trying to be funny. Repeat your joke when you're trying to be funny. (laughs) Ask the waitress for an extra seat for your imaginary friend. Insist that everyone address you as conquistador. Try that one. Borrow someone's pen and immediately chew on it in front of them. <laughs> Buy a large quantity of orange traffic cones and reroute your street. Reply to everything someone says with, that's what you think. Leave your turn signal on for 50 miles. Call everybody champ, bub, or slick. Keep reminding the drive through attendant that your order is to go. Regularly ask people, did you wear deodorant today? You can do all that. Or, if you really want to annoy people, you can talk about what we're about to talk about. Now, we have been in a series that I, I considered really, really significant, especially if you came in here wondering, what is it that... Followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to do together to do that. Why? Or if you ask, what what is the church for? Like, what do what do you ask us to do together? If I've got a, a desire to have a relationship with God through His Son Jesus, and I'm going to just assume today that a whole lot of us in the room do, and if you don't, you're considering it. I'll do, that's an assumption I'm going to make. But if that's true, then what is it that you? That, the, that, this, that God says, hey, this is what I want you to do together to kind of be on track together. What's it look like to be fully involved in the church and in what God has set up to do? And we got asked that question uh, several times, and it kind of prompted uh, a little diagram that we have on our, our website, and that became the, the the kind of the base of this whole series of six essentials. Because when we took all the scripture and we boiled it down and said, so what are the things that you, you you've got a relationship with God on your own, but what are the things when we come together, we'd say, if you plug in here, here's what we're asking you to plug into. Here's what God's asking you to plug into. Here's what the Bible says are the things that if you, these are six involvements that we see throughout scripture that says, this is what, if you do these six things, it's not a guarantee, but you will be well on your way toward growing in this relationship with God and faith, and you'll be... Your chances are higher that your vibrancy spiritually is going to be higher. What are those things? And we started talking about these things. And over the last four weeks, we've done the first four, not necessarily in that order, that you see on those blocks. Last week, we talked about cell group, what it means to be in biblical community with each other, koinonia. And you're going to hear that a lot around here. We got to still have a board in the lobby that says, we're we're trying to get action steps attached to these to say, this is how you can plug in. Again, if you're asking... I, I want to be fully plugged in. We'd say plug in in these six areas. Plug in in a cell group. Plug in to collective corporate worship. Come together with people to, to say, there is a bowing down I'm going to do, there's a standing up I'm going to do, and there's a drawing close I'm going to do. Hopefully you just did that. And make a commitment that say, I'm going to be plugged in fully to do that consistently and regularly. And we talked about discipleship and growth, and we launched... A renovated resource for you that we hope that you will take advantage of around here. That says you're on a track to grow. Our whole resource center that's along that wall on the other side of that wall is for that purpose, and I hope you'll avail yourself of that. And then, and we talked about serving and ministry and how every oar needs to be in the water. That you come in here, you are not. There's not a word in the Bible for being a spectator. We, if you need to heal a while, great. But eventually, we're going to hand you an oar. We're going to say we're going somewhere. God says. Something happens in your soul when you're rowing in the direction of God's kingdom together. Those are the first four. And then we get to this one, which is, we use the word support, and it's going to talk about money, which we're real cool about around here, and we don't do a lot to trumpet it. But you know what? Here's a commitment I've made as somebody who's trying to lead this thing and somebody who, wants, who has a genuine desire to take God at his word and to believe him and say, I'm going to to let him say what he wants to say in my life. We are not going to compromise that. We're going to talk about what he talks about. And you cannot get past the fact of something that's really maybe a little odd, maybe it sounds, it's attached to some baggage, but it's absolutely true. When God talks about your spiritual life, it is absolutely intertwined with your use of money. Now I'm going to invite you to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 6, some things Jesus said. If you have a Bible or access to one, I encourage you to uh, take a look with me. And we're going to talk more about this area of, of being vested financially in what God is doing. For some of us, we need to unlearn some stuff. And this is not going to be exhaustive today. We're not going to beat you up today, but we're going to just going to take a lot, an honest look. But for some of us, this is how it feels. When I was a, One of my earliest memories was I was four or five years old, living in Brooklyn, I was, I was playing the uh, helicopter game on the floor, which is you lay on your back and you take little coins and you make helicopter sounds and fly them over your head. I was playing the helicopter game and going with the helicopter and the helicopter f- lost power and dropped into my open mouth. It, the helicopter was a dime, Alright, So I'm holding a dime over, I'm playing, pretending, right? And, and uh, there were other helicopters around. There were larger helicopters and smaller helicopters and copper ones and silver ones. This was a, a nice helicopter and that dime fell into my throat. And of course, it was open because I'm making the helicopter sounds during the time, and I began to choke on the helicopter, on the dime, and apparently it, it went down and went straight down an airway, and it and it blocked the path. And my my parents were around. They came over. They saw I was trying to gasp and I couldn't talk, and I started to turn colors, and they and they started. They're they're trying to get. They try to put fingers in my mouth, and then they're beating on on my my back, and nothing's happening. And finally, my dad did what the last thing he. I don't think he knew the Heimlich maneuver. I don't think it was invented then. So he did uh, the best thing he could do. He grabbed me by the by the ankles and turned me upside down and shook me repeatedly this way. (laughs) And about the sixth or seventh one, pop! It came out, and the helicopter came out, and I was good. Thank you, Dad. For some of us in the room, when we talk about God wants to save about something money, it's going to feel like that's what we're doing to you. We're shaking it out of you, man. We're just going to not stop until it comes out of you. All right, would you just, would you just grant an audience to God for this and let Jesus do the talking? And look with me at what he says in Matthew chapter six. And there are a couple of really significant things that come out of this. And remember, we're going to, I'm going to propose something fairly audacious to you. And that is this. You want to be fully connected with what God wants to do in your life? This is an essential. This is not optional. This is an essential. So this is what he says. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break through and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says in verse 21... Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We're going to come back to that. It's a really significant statement. He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. See that? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to follow. Your heart is going to be affected by where you invest your treasure. Just to make sure, he's not just talking about, you know, he's not just using a metaphor. He's talking about finances, keep going. He, he says there's this spiritual thing that's going on. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, the whole body is full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If, there's, if the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, so what he's saying, there's this spiritual light and darkness thing affected by this. Here's What's he talking about? Next verse. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, and he juxtaposes two masters, God and money. He's going to take money out of the financial world and bring it right into the synagogue, right into the church, right into the temple. He's going to say, this is related to your relationship with God. Your heart is going to be affected by what you do financially. He's going to go on to talk about it. We'll come back to some of those the verses that follow later. But here is what God does. He identifies The heart's true position as being absolutely directly affected by what our practices are and our spending and our material benefits. It reflects our true spiritual state. Your money and what you do with it is a spiritual activity as much as praying, as much as worshiping, as much as reading the Bible, what you do. Money talks, they say. You know what? Your money talks talks my money talks it's telling a story you read our checkbooks and our bank statements and our credit card accounts and our budgets and it's telling a story about the state of our hearts and our lives the question is what story is yours telling do you know that there are 16 of the 38 parables Jesus told how we're concerned with handling money and possessions. And in the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deal directly with the subject of this this area of money. In the Bible, there are about 500 verses on prayer. And there's really less than 500 verses on faith. But on the subject of money, there are more than 2,000 verses. Why? Because God says... This is an indicator of the state of your heart. Oswald Sanders, who's written some classic books, and I've read them for years, wrote this in a spiritual clinic. Money is the, is one of the acid tests of character, and a surprising amount of space is given to it in Scripture. Whether a man is rich or poor, listen to this: observe his reaction to his possessions, and you have a revealing index to his character. It reflects your spiritual condition, and it affects your spiritual condition. Where your money goes, your heart goes. I was was in junior high school, and we did this thing in some economics class of some sort, and we all had to buy stock, fake stock in real companies, and we had to monitor it and see what you did. And I bought, bought money in IBM. I didn't even know what IBM was. I think I bought it for like like $3 a share. Imagine if I had done that in real life. And they had us monitor this stuff. I had no idea what the stock market was. I had no idea what IBM was. But you know what? I, I bought 50 shares in IBM, and suddenly I was the biggest IBM follower on the planet. Every, every day I'm checking in the papers back then, looking, what, what did IBM do today? It's upper you know How much am I worth today? Suddenly, my affections and my interests followed my money. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, now here's why this becomes such a big deal. Because this is directly related to your standing eternally. Your spiritual condition. Your salvation, the Bible uses that word. Being saved from your sin. There is something that God says about our salvation. When he offers the gift of eternal life to us, he uses the terminology quite often in the Bible of like a financial buyout. That we are... That, we, for, that God finds us, and in our spiritual condition, we are bankrupt. Also, words get we're dead in our trespasses in sins. The Bible says that we are that we are empty. And the word that gets used there often is a is a, a financial term that means bankrupt. It means your company is going under. The comp the company name your life is going under. It is it's about it's gone. It's done. And God walks in and only, not because he thinks that you deserve it, but just because he loves you and doesn't want your name to perish, he offers, God offers a a buyout. And he comes in and and basically offers to purchase your life. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to purchase your salvation. He said, your life is, it's, it's under God's wrath. It's it, Your life is forfeit. You're going under. You're bankrupt. I would like to buy your company. The company of your heart. The company of your life. In Revelation 5.9 it says this about Jesus. You, Jesus, were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. It's a financial term there from every tribe and language and people and nation. So when God comes in he buys out your life. Galatians two. 20, says it this way I've been crucified with Christ when he died he took my life on himself he purchased me and says and, and so I, was, I died with him he, and then he says now nevertheless I live but not I but it's Christ who lives in me he, so he buys out the company and that means he gets all the holdings of it This you've seen it in the news this, just recently Office Depot bought out Office Max you see some of the commercials together Uh, Dollar Tree bought out Family Dollar. Burger King this week announced that they're buying Tim Hortons. When that purchase is made, most of those mergers are really just takeovers and buyouts, and they mean that the purchasing company gets all use and all assets and all holdings of the company they're buying. The same thing happens. God uses that terminology to describe my life. He bought me. He, uh, He proffered Offered to me that says, I will, I will give you life. Would you accept my buyout? And my, my responsibility is simply by faith, yours too. This is how you know you have eternal life, that you accept by, by faith a gift. I will surrender my life dead and bankrupt, and you give me your life. That's what it means to have eternal life. I'm a carrier, I'm a holder of his life, which means he is the property. I used to have t-shirts, Property of New York Mets. So I always thought one day I will be. But you could walk around with a, with a shirt that says property of Jesus Christ. He now has, he owns my life. I've surrendered it to him. By the way, if you don't agree to that full transfer of ownership, then don't accept the buyout offer. All the holdings are now his. So it says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It goes in chapter seven twenty three. Says you were bought at a price. Don't become a slave to anything else. Don't become a slave to men. And then God, in a surprise move, he names you the manager of the branch of your life. He buys your life. It's his. But now he puts you back in charge of running it for his purposes. Well, I've already screwed it up once. And this is where the word stewardship comes from. God makes you the steward, the manager over his property. Everything in my life, my time and my talents and my treasures, everything it belongs now to somebody else. But he says, yeah, but you're in charge of optimizing it. You're in charge of getting the most out of it. For the purpose now of a different master, a different owner. Do what it takes to make that life flourish and gives returns for the glory and the the purposes and the priorities of the new owner. I bear his branding on me. When people get baptized, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I'm identified now as property of Jesus Christ. My life belongs to him. And the whole parable of the talents, you might be familiar with that, where Jesus tells a story about a property owner, and he goes out of town, and he gives investments to three of his key servants and says, go invest these for me. That whole thing is a microcosm of the life that he gave to us and says, now, take your life and everything about it and invest it according to my priorities. One of the first areas that he mentions is material stuff. He's going to send revenues your way and it's your job and my job to be a steward that says, "Let me. what can I do to bring the best out of this for the glory and advancement of its owner? This is why when it comes to our money and when it comes to giving to God, we desperately need a, a perspective shift. That this is not... If you come into church and you go, oh, you know, if I went down to the Kiwanis Club, they, i have to pay some dues there. How much are the dues here? Or the perspective is, well, I go to the movies... And they spent a hundred million dollars for that. And if it I guess I'd be willing to pay ten dollars. That, that, that we're paying money for services rendered in somehow, or it's just some law requirement says, okay, I know God's got this thing, and he says, You gotta pay up if you're gonna be around here. That perspective needs to change so that we understand everything that gets sent my way is his now anyway. That he is actually the supplier of it. That my life and anything I own can be absolutely grateful to say, I was bankrupt and he keeps sending me more resources. How good a God is this? He keeps me afloat. He keeps me going. Do you know what? It, it's funny, but um, but new believers, some of you are, are fairly new in this journey with Jesus I find that sometimes new believers have an easier time getting this than people who've walked with Him for a long time. Because a new follower of Jesus sometimes is so overwhelmed to say, I can't believe what he did for me. He just gave me a new life. I am so grateful. I'm so thankful. He just bought my life. And then they say, well, I, so, so part of my response to him is to, is to be an investor of what he gave. Well, why not? That's what I hear from him. Well, sure, of course I'd do that. How could I not give back so, what he's given me so much? So look at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking to followers of God about what we tend to do instead. In verse 25 and following, and again, I'm not going to dig all this out. It's a, one of the best passages camp in this, this week. I encourage you to do that. Verse 25, so he, he addresses something. Why this doesn't happen all the time. It's about whole thing about focus and control and worry Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life, and that's the thing God gave us, isn't that more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. he use a couple of analogies. This is in God's kingdom and God's control. The birds of the air don't sow or reap or stow away in boar, barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Get this, this is a compliment to you. Aren't you more important than them? So who of you, by by focusing on this, worrying about it, can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? Look again at what God does. Lilies of the field grow. They, They don't labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, King Solomon, all his splendor, not even him, not even he was dressed like one of these. So if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, well, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Godless people, pagans, people who don't have a relationship with the God of the universe, run after those things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So God gives some instructions about this. With that, if, if we can change our perspective, again, I'm going to come back to this over and over again. What we're talking about here is something to plug into, something to make part of your life, where you say, a whole lot of folks say, you know, I, I, I'm struggling spiritually, I'm weak spiritually. Why am I weak? Why why am I why not growing? Can I, do you want to know? Best I can see. The six things we're talking about go a whole long way. Are Am I plugged in in these? And I'll ask you, are you plugged in with this one? Not out of obligation, but because we benefit. So here are some of the things that God says. All right, how does this shift work? Can I invite you to do a little inventory? Again, not going to be exhaustive about these. Here, here's a summary of just five things that God would say, all right, this is how you do it. This is what it looks like. Number one, off the top to God. Oh, well, what about the tie in the Old Testament law? Oh, wait, wait regulations. Oh, hang on, hang on. The principle is there, whether the law got fulfilled or not. It all belongs to him, and his principle has always been the same. It's his. Off the top goes to him. Every dollar from every source. It doesn't matter if you have a job or you get a gift for Christmas or you... God says, if I bring it in, I'm the one who brought it in. You honor me by by giving off the top. Consistently as an act of worship. Not out of obligation. Not out of calculation. Regardless of your age, station in life, situation. The Bible uses a a, a phrase, the first fruits belong to him. In Proverbs 3 it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. When they brought the crops in, the first 10% off the top, and then it went beyond that. Where it's like, okay, this goes to God. Before we set a budget, before we do anything, this is what I do because it's His. Because I'm a steward of it. Because I honor Him. Uh, you, you can't have not heard about the Ice Bucket Challenge, right? A lot of you have done it for ALS. And um, the money that's got raised, it, it came out this week that the ALS Foundation has announced that donations... Uh, related to the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, in the last month have topped $100 million, which I think is fantastic. Normally, in the same span, they will, they ha- last year they raised $2.8 million. $2.8 million last year, $100 million plus this year. It's an increase of over 3,500% in gifts to that organization for that research. Now, according to Plenty Consulting, which is a firm that specializes in peer-to-peer fundraising, they said it, that the whole ice bucket challenge it, it, it hit a sweet spot, and they said this is why it was accessible and fun. It was understandable, compelling, a compelling cause, and and net, and it networked social proof. Jeff Shuck, who is a CEO of that of that consulting firm, said, "You, you should probably you, this will not come as a surprise to you. Everyone we're working with is calling us and wanting their own ice bucket challenge." Sure. Now, here's what they've said, and you know it too. There's a half-life to this, isn't there? Because eventually you'll have done the ice bucket challenge. And eventually that'll seem like old to to us. And I'm not here to say whether it was a good idea or not. It raised $100 million. I think it's fantastic. Everybody wants to know what to do that. Here's the difference between that and what God says about our lives. What God says about how we plug in spiritually in this area is unrelated to whether it's fun. It's unrelated to whether it's a novelty. It's unrelated to whether you feel like the cause is compelling or not. It belongs to him anyway. And therefore, the consistent sacrificial depositing and reinvesting of what he's doing with his company is a part of my life. You want to pour a bucket of water on your head on the way out, just stand out the doors right now. I think that would happen, okay? Knock yourself out. But that's not our motivation for it. It's not what will sustain it. It is because I have a personal relationship with a God who brings into my possession that which he wants to sustain me with and that which he's looking for somebody to deposit for his purposes. You know, there's another entity that will take take money off the top from you, right? You know that. And they do it quite regularly. They do it very well. You'll get in trouble if you don't let them. But the difference is the IRS didn't give you the money in the first place. We're giving back to the one who owned it and deposited us into our our accounts. Off the top to God. Now, there's a couple of thoughts about this. One is that, that we feel like, again, that whole shift in disposition has to happen where I think, all right, I guess I'll find a way to say thanks. So, I, so some people are good at tipping God. You go to a restaurant, used to be 10%. Now it's 15% minimum. If you have good service, 18 to 20%. Some of you served at tables and you'd like us to start with 20%. But if you anticipate the fact that I will drink 16 Mountain Dews in one sitting and you come back and check my Mountain Dew cup and you fill it before it's empty... I might be giving you 22, 23% tip. Because, well, that's well done. You learned how to serve me, and that's good. That's not how God operates. This is how he operates. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Give to God off the top. Yeah, but what about my needs? Well, what about my bills? Did you just read what we saw in verses 25 and following? Those are the needs. God's made you a guarantee. He's given you the life. He'll sustain the life. He will find a way. He, that That's one of the guarantees of God. He'll, he'll take care of those. Let's move on. Here's the second one. Got to go faster. Kingdom first, self second. We stopped at verse 20, 32, now look at verse 33. This is all related to the use of money. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You might have heard radio ads, I think uh, the ad council, feedthepig.org about personal savings. And the guy's talking with another guy and he says, what are you doing with that? He goes, oh, I'm making a deposit or a payment too." I'm making a payment to Dave 2037, which is himself in the year 2037. It's a way of saying I'm investing, I'm saving money. I'm paying Dave 2037. And the whole point of that is, before you do anything else, take care of yourself. Take care of your future self. Now, I'm not against personal savings. I believe that part of a a good budget does that and says we invest, and and it's smart, it's wise. But God says... Kingdom first. Kingdom first. This isn't just poetry. This is, I'm investing in what God is doing. Where is he active? What has he done? He has set up the church to be his instrument. He's got people sharing the gospel across the world. The kingdom gets first and self second. We could call it the reliable conduit principle. God has got the cattle on a thousand hills. He's looking to resource what his company is, wants to do, the advance of his kingdom. What he's looking for is really, really good investment managers who will take it and, well, and invest it well. Major companies will always tell you this. When, they, when they're working with their assets and their investments, they will, they, when they hire somebody to be an uh, investment manager for them, they will never give them the whole kit and caboodle. They'll give them a little bit first. They'll say, let's see how you do with this small portfolio. Let's see how you do. Let's see what your returns are. If you're good at it, will give you more. You know what? God does the same thing. Who can I trust? Who will be the reliable conduit? In Luke chapter 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with riches? Why We saw it. Why won't God give me more so I can do more? Do more and God might just give you more. But it's never for your own company. It's for the advance of his. 2 Corinthians 9. So now here's how it works. He says, "The one, God, the one who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. God will give a, a, a portion. He'll give a supply to you. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Kingdom goes first, self goes second. We've got to stop thinking about it, it as dues. Do you know the stats are? You can talk about, okay, tie this 10%, all that. Do you know the stats are Americans are very generous people and, and the average household gives to charity 2.2% of its income, 2.2%. Do you want evangelical, Bible-believing, church-going Christians percentages? 2.5. Paul wrote to the followers of Jesus, Excel, you excel in so many things, excel in this gift, excel in the grace of giving. Can I tell you something that's really cool around here? I see you do this. I am proud to be, I'm not here to beat you up because there are a whole lot of people in this room who are living this out right now i 've heard stories even this week about people who have sacrificed and cared people in cell groups rallying around other people people who when people are out of work giving to, to pay their bills there are people who are hurting with each other and moving toward each other and there are people who say i 'm going to give to God regardless how how bad my financial statement is, because I trust him, I believe in him, I follow him God is glorified, and we'll see he actually manifests himself in a life when somebody does that. Here, look, at, look at this sermon. Here's this third principle, moderate and thrifty over extravagant and greedy. I'm not even going to say too much about this, but the Bible has a whole lot about being focused on money, making decisions based on money, being a lover of money. God says, all right, as a good manager, you know what a good manager does? He gets his good bang for the buck. He makes good deals. She, she, find, she avoids extremes she uh, looks for places to go the proverbs in proverbs this is what we call the middle class prayer give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread otherwise i may have too much and disown you and say who is the lord or i may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my god the proverbs 31 woman Righteous woman who's described in Proverbs 31 has this as a character quality of hers. She goes out to inspect a field and she buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She watches for bargains. She goes to the goodwill. Moderate and thrifty over extravagant and greedy. There's another one. You live within your means without debt. Josh Billings, who was an American humorist at the same time as Mark Twain, said, "Live within your means, even if you have to borrow to do so." We could the, seriously. There are whole courses we could do on this about debt, going into debt, budgeting. The significance of it, making keeping a budget is biblical. I believe it's an essential part of how this happens because Proverbs says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Some of you are living that right now. You feel enslaved because of that. If you're in debt, find a way out. If you're not in debt, don't go into it. The only debt the Bible says to keep is Romans thirteen eight: Let no debt remain outstanding except this. I owe you this. Continuing debt to love one another. Live within your means, without debt. Do you know that the, the America as a as a stat, the American households, your household, American households, they spend ten percent on average more than their income in an average year. The average household in America spends ten percent more per year than it gets in, regardless how much it gets in. People at the poverty level spent ten percent more than what they get. People in the 1% spend 10% more than what they get. And everybody in between does that that too. Look at this phrase that Jesus uses. Verse 24 of Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. There are two masters, and, and Jesus uses this, more about money than he does about idolatry. About other gods you either master money or it will enslave you you cannot serve both god and money he says within your means without debt how much do i live how much do i need to live on i can say more about that but i gotta finish okay let me, give you, let me give you one more here. And this is just almost all-encompassing. This is how this plugs in. That you look at this area of your life, whether you get money to babysit or you get sent money at your birthday, anything that comes in, whether it's what job you get and how you choose it, and what you choose to do with the expenditures of that is first and foremost something that asks the question, does this honor God? Does it recognize him as the owner? Does it reflect his priorities? Does it involve him in the process and advance his purposes? See, there are a whole lot of us who just never let God into this area of our lives. Can I just ask you a question? What what purchases do you actually stop and pray about before you make the purchase? Right, I stop and get gas. Did I pray? I should get gas. Well, no, the big stuff. If I'm going to buy a house, I'll ask God, would you help us get the house? That's a big one. Maybe a car. Think about it. Okay, maybe, maybe. maybe. Did you pray about the car? What about all the rest of the budget? Is how much I spend on eating out under the lordship of Jesus Christ as much as whether, how much I spend on my house? Are we scared to let God into this? Can I just make an honest, genuine suggestion? Would you just let's pray about your budget? In, all this is is inviting God to be have a voice to sit at the table on the distribution of what belongs to Him anyway. James four. Now listen, you business people, people who make your plans about your how you. What you do with your money. today? Those of you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city, we're going to spend a year there, we're going to carry on business, and we're going to make money. Okay, that's like, This could be anybody who's going to work tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning this week. Okay, those of you who do that, this, that's the plan. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're, it's a mist that appears for a little and then vanishes. So instead, well, you ought to say, If it's the will of God, if it's the Lord's will, I will live and do this or that. You acknowledge that he's involved in it. You invite him to be part of it. You honor God in it. You know, in Proverbs 3, we read the passage earlier. There's a real famous part of Proverbs 3 where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You might be able to quote that. Trust Him with all your heart. Don't trust in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. You know that following that little passage, the very next verse in verse 9 says, honor God with your money. I don't think about do that, how that applies. Insert prayer into the equation. Is it possible... That my best idea about how to distribute what comes in my way is my own understanding and that I'm not supposed to lean to? Ask him, are you feeling honored? Now here's here's where I want to land this. Matthew 6, verse 21, again. Where you invest the treasures, you might as well put the word money in there, your income. Where your income, where your, where your financial resources go, that's where your heart will go also. My spiritual health and my impact for God are directly connected with being someone who supports what God is doing financially. Involvement in this practice. And if it happens, when it happens, God seems to indicate that something goes on in my soul when I'm when I'm plugged in with this. In Second Corinthians, there's this little statement that made about their, them being generous because of your service, and the whole context here is is giving money to support what God is doing. Because of your service, by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience and that uh, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Do you hear what he just said? You do that, and it's going to make impact. Other people are going to praise God. They're going to be connecting with God, and and your generosity and sharing with them, and with everyone else. Here's here's where this is coming at. Tomorrow's Labor Day. For a whole lot of people, it's the end of the summer, and now we launch into a new school year, and you've already started, and now there's new patterns, and and new schedules and new things to set priorities for. As you do that this year, this is why we did this leading up through the end of August and into September. As you do that, as you establish, what is my life going to look like? What are the things I'm going to be plugged into and committed to? The call of God and the invitation you're going to get here is to say, before you do anything else, install at the center the benchmark things that we're talking about. Make it your commitment that says... I'm going to be plugged in this, in this area. This is a year where I'm going to engage in spiritual community. This is a year where I'm going to be absolutely resolute about worship. This is going, this is going to be a year when I am, I pick up an oar and I'm part of doing, I make a commitment where people can count on me to be there. And this is a year and this is a season where I'm going to say it is time and I'm going to absolutely commit myself to say I'm going to support what God does financially. It will have an effect on you, it'll make an effect through you. And as you set that course, God invites us to say, here it is, I'm in. I'm going to end with that invitation and ask you to join me in his presence and ask you to just respond to God. Would you bow your head real quick? And if you're offended about what we've said today or you feel pressured, then forgive me if I didn't say it right. But would you let Jesus, what he said, just reflect in your own heart. And if this is an area that you would just simply would say, I've already committed and I just want to say to you again, you are the owner of everything that comes in. It's yours and I will be faithful to you. I will honor you.